This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. I want to welcome Wharton healthcare professor Scott Harrington to join us today, and he's going to talk about some appeals court rulings on Obamacare that are leaving a lot of people scratching their heads as to the future of Obamacare and the subsidies that are required uh, for some of the low and middle income folks uh, that have already signed up for it. Scott, we had two appeals court decisions yesterday. One was the Fourth Circuit and one was out of D.C., I believe. They came to opposite conclusions. Um, Could you give us briefly what happened and and, and what it means? The D.C. court decision came first. And basically that court ruled that the plain language of the Affordable Care Act does not permit the federal government to provide premium subsidies to lower income people in states that did not establish their own exchanges. This calls into the question the legality of those subsidies in well over half the states and could have a dramatic impact on the insurance marketplaces in those states if this ultimately were to become the law of the land. Two hours later, the Fourth Circuit released an opinion that was diametrically opposed. It said that the language in the statute regarding subsidies was ambiguous. And as a result, the court would defer to the Internal Revenue Service interpretation of the statute, which had held that the subsidies could be paid in all states, regardless of whether the federal government ran the exchanges or the states had established their own exchanges. For someone who's holding a policy right now who signed up for the Affordable Care Act, and who is, let's say, getting a subsidy, I know a a lot of folks are, are paying $100 a month or even less. I mean, the average may be a little higher, but we're talking about 4.7 million people overall. And uh, most of them are are paying uh, what would be considered very low premiums compared to what might happen on the open market for them, where they might not even be able to afford it, the whole purpose of the act. So they're left in limbo a little bit. They don't know if they're going to get the reimbursement uh, that's going to uh, reduce their premiums to the levels that they thought they were signing up for. So, so they're in limbo. Um, insurance companies are in limbo. <laughs> and of course, lawmakers are in limbo. But the, it, it seems to me that, the, um, uh, that this is very confusing and not settled yet. So we had three, a three-panel uh, judge group make this decision in the D.C. court circuit, but that court, I believe, has 11 judges, and can't the president say, wait, I would like the entire circuit court there, all 11 judges, to come back and and rejudge this? Isn't that how it works? Yes, and the administration will ask for the entire panel to come back and reassess this decision. It's uncertain what they will do and what the effect would be. It's not a done deal that this overall panel, this overall group of 11 judges would overturn the three-judge panel, although the overall panel is heavily Democratic, including several new appointees from the president, there is a great reluctance to overturn the decisions of a three-judge panel by the overall group. So it's not a done deal. And maybe more important, even if the full D.C. court were to overturn the three-judge panel's decision. It's very like the decision would be appealed to the Supreme Court, and there's a very good chance the Supreme Court would take the case anyway. 
tough, tough question. Any, any guesses on which way the Supreme Court might rule on this, which would be, of course, down the road and allow for years of confusion in the interim? Well, we're looking at resolution of this uncertainty that probably will take at least a year and maybe even into June of 2016, depending on when the court would take the case and if it would wind its way through the process to get to the Supreme Court during the coming term as opposed to the 2015-16 term. My initial impression was there wasn't a snowball's chance that the Supreme Court would basically eviscerate the ability to pay these subsidies in states without uh, state exchanges, given Justice Roberts' decision in the constitutionality case that arose and was decided in 2012. However, when you really start to think about it, the cases are fundamentally different. What the court decided in 2012 was whether the law was constitutional. This is a different issue. It's what does the statute say about the authority of the federal government to pay subsidies? And it's conceivable that some of the justices will take a different tack. And if they look at the language and decide that the language is plain, then it's quite possible the court could, maybe five of those justices would say the language is clear and that subsidies cannot be paid as the law is written. Even in states that have approved it and adopted their own system or their own uh, website? In, in states that have state exchanges, the law is clear. Okay, so they would continue to, um, folks in those states would continue right. to get the subsidies. And, and overall, with consumer uh, policyholder concern, nothing is going to happen anytime soon. The subsidies are going to continue at least through the next year and very likely through 2015. Certainly, this can create confusion among people, and there is concern among insurance companies and consumerists that this additional confusion and uncertainty about the law could discourage some people from signing up that otherwise would have signed up. But we're not going to know. We're not going to resolve this uncertainty for quite some time. On the other hand, you have 4.7 million people, thereabouts, benefiting from this, uh, and uh, many of whom could have their subsidies pulled out from under them. Isn't that a tough thing to do also for uh, a governor of a state? I mean, they may do it, but isn't that a, a different? Because these are not folks that can easily afford to get insurance otherwise. That was the whole point of the act. They may be without insurance if that happens. It could, be, it could be very tough. As you indicated, the average person in these states that might lose subsidies is paying a premium of about $70 a month. The premium would rise to about $350 a month if they didn't have the subsidy. The governors in these states and the legislatures, when you're looking at, well, do we do something to maintain these subsidies or do we just let them go away, are going to be under strong political pressure not to have that coverage go away, the ability to afford that coverage go away. Now, we have to sit back and go, a lot of states didn't expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act, even though the federal government was paying the lion's share of the cost. How many... Do, it's do you know roughly, I think roughly 27 states expanded and a few are still discussing, but mm -hmm. 20 states are not moving forward with federal Medicaid, with Medicaid expansion. Mm -hmm. And many of those states are the ones that have, are using the federal government for the exchanges as opposed to establishing their own exchange. Now, there's a difference, though, in the sense of not expanding a benefit to a group, strong political pressure to expand. But not expanding is, I think, distinct from having something that people got exactly. and then yanking yeah. it out from yeah. under them. So there are a lot of things that could happen pending the court's ruling. We might see some states move towards establishing exchanges in anticipation of an adverse ruling. It's also possible in legal 
get down into the legal weeds here, and it's not clear what can be done, but it's possible that the Department of Health and Human Services will come up with rules that make it very easy for states to say that they have a state exchange, even though they may be relying heavily on the federal government. So there's uncertainty on that dimension as well. And for the insurance companies, um, how is this uncertainty likely to affect them? If you've invested a lot of money in entering the state marketplaces and trying to really build a book of business there, you're likely to be cautious but not panic. Uh, because I think if you look at the probabilities, the probabilities that these subsidies will actually go away may be relatively low. I would say, though, the companies that are thinking about expanding into additional states or new insurers that are thinking about entering the individual health insurance market in states that don't have state exchanges, I would tread very cautiously if I were them. What's the bottom line here? Is it is that there's lots of confusion and this could slow, maybe even undermine the program? Or is it that more that this is a, a big bump in the road, but in the end, um, it's going to be difficult to pull these programs away from people? Uh, and, and yes, maybe some states will not participate that may have gone ahead and participated, but that, uh, or is it just a big mess and we don't know? I'd say it's a big mess. I can see scenarios playing out different ways. I think what we know after yesterday is that the Affordable Care Act is still unsettled law, and there's enormous uncertainty even before the, the, the yesterday's decisions about will the employer mandate actually be enforced and go into effect and things like that. Enormous uncertainties. And I think what's particularly disturbing about the whole process over the past five years is that when the law was enacted, the lack of any bipartisan support for the legislation that came out has really come back to, to harm us in many ways because we are so completely divided on this issue. You know, it's wishful thinking pie in the sky to think that the people in Congress could actually get together and say, could we agree on some changes that would actually make the law work better and give rise to some bipartisan support? We, we can't really see that happening right now, but we're going to be in this mess. We're going to be in this turmoil for at least another year or two. And, of course, the ultimate outcome will also depend on the elections this year and the election in 2016. What haven't I asked you that would be important to know or think about regarding this issue? I would keep in mind, there's many people say, well, it's clear that the Congress wanted subsidies to go to all states, but there is at least some plausibility to the notion that the statute was written the way it was written in order to make sure to give the states a very strong incentive to establish exchanges, and that the fact that they didn't was largely un unanticipated and maybe was fueled by the IRS ruling that said you'll get subsidies even if you don't establish a state exchange. So I don't agree with people that basically say that the district court decision in D or the appeals court decision in D.C. was totally inconsistent with intent. I think, in fact, if you look at the Fourth Circuit's decision, they also said there was the legislative history was unclear, the intent of the Congress was unclear, and that that lack of clarity along with the ambiguity in the language meant that they should defer to the IRS. But the, the foregone conclusion that the Congress did not intend to induce the states to establish their own exchanges by linking subsidies to doing so, I don't think we can be fully sure of that. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.